0: Due to this week's 9-11 10th anniversary memorial, there is no This Week podcast. Instead, here's an ABC News Radio special, America Remembers.
1: This is an ABC News Radio special, America
2: Remembers. My father worked on the 88th floor of the World Trade Center. I
3: miss you so much, Dad.
4: Anthony Edward Gallagher, we love you and we miss you. And my dad, Michael Batch.
3: We all come here to remember those hopes and to mourn, and to honor.
5: We remember it as a defining moment for all Americans. They were our neighbors, our friends, our husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, children, and parents.
6: I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement.
7: God is our refuge and strength.
8: I can say without fear of contradiction or being accused of exaggeration, The 9-11 generation ranks among the greatest our nation has ever produced, and it was born, it was born right here on 9-11.
1: From Ground Zero in New York, here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky.
9: Americans come together to remember where we were, what we saw, who we lost, and the strength we found on September 11th, ten years ago. Here at Ground Zero, relatives of the nearly 3,000 victims who died here viewed for the first time the new 9-11 memorial. We'll hear their thoughts about this place. And we'll take you to the Pentagon and to Shanksville, Pennsylvania, the other locations forever intertwined with this date. There were commemorations on battlefields in Afghanistan and in other corners of the world. But we begin here, in Lower Manhattan, where the most lives were lost. No place has come to symbolize America's resilience more. The World Trade Center, a shrine to personal loss, national shock, and the power of survival. Six times, each marked by the toll of a bell, this place fell quiet to stand in silent memorial to the times when planes crashed and buildings fell. But more than things, this day was about people.
10: Carol Marie Bouchard. J. Howard Bolton.
11: Francisco and it E-G-O took E-G-O hours E-G-O. to
9: complete the seemingly endless recitation Robert of victims' names. Mark Zangrilli. Cellist Yo Yo Ma provided solemn accompaniment. For years, these names were only spoken. Now they're also seen etched as they are in bronze around the edges of two acre-sized reflecting pools positioned at the footprints of the Twin Towers. Waterfalls cascade gently on all sides but the pools never fill reflecting the hollowness in the hearts of those who lost someone. Relatives of the dead took pencils and paper and made tombstone-like rubbings. Others placed flags, firefighter helmets or flowers and some leaned on the rails put their head on their arms and wept. President Obama held the first lady's hand and walked slowly by. His hand grazed some of the names and he read from Psalm 46.
12: The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge.
9: The president accompanied former President Bush who chose to read words
6: of Abraham Lincoln. I pray that our heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost.
9: With two presidents in attendance, the ceremony here went on under tight security. 10 years have brought new terror threats and this city remains on high alert. Police sealed off the same streets where 400 police and fire personnel were killed a decade ago. Retired NYPD officer James Smith paid tribute.
1: Five years ago with my daughter Patricia at my side, I told you about my wife and Patricia's mother, police officer Moira Smith who ran into the towers time and time again to save as many people as she possibly could. Moira sacrificed all that she had and all the richness of life that still lay in front of her in order to
9: save just one more person. In the absence of traffic, musicians provided the dominant sound.
13: Well, the sun is surely sinking down.
9: James Taylor played close your eyes.
13: And Paul Simon,
9: sound of silence.
14: Hello darkness, my old friend.
13: I've come to talk with you again.
9: At the Pentagon, Vice President Biden paid tribute to the nation's armed forces who have fought in two wars since 9-11. ABC's Vic Ratner was there.
7: Aaron, 10 years later, the black scar of the attack on the Pentagon is gone. But the painful memories won't go away at the end of a long day of solemn remembrance president obama spent almost an hour with the families of those who died here no speeches just hugs and a president's gratitude earlier under a warm sun beneath a giant american flag vice president joe biden paid tribute to the victims of the attack on the pentagon and to those he called the 9 11 generation
8: never before in our history has America asked so much over such a sustained period of an all-volunteer force. So I can say without fear of contradiction or being accused of exaggeration, the 9-11 generation ranks among the greatest our nation has ever produced, and it was born, it was
7: born, it was born
8: right here on 9-11.
7: One hundred and eighty-four burnished metal benches, each with burbling water beneath, marked the place where the American Airlines jet plowed into the building. One hundred and twenty-five killed in the Pentagon, fifty-nine more on board the plane. The death toll might have been much, much higher, except that the section where the plane hit had just been renovated, and people had not moved back into most of those offices. Still, for those in there, including Lieutenant Colonel Vincent Cam, who was working that day, the experience is seared in the memory, as if it were yesterday.
5: There is this loud explosion, and I can see a fireball coming towards the window, towards me.
7: Former Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld felt the building shake in his interior office, remembers racing to the scene and arriving even before the firefighters and the rescue squads. Rumsfeld helping to guide injured and dazed survivors away from the danger zone.
12: There were flames and people streaming out of the burning building and people being pulled out.
7: When the rescue squads arrived, Rumsfeld went back to his office. And so did thousands of others, even in a burning building. Then as today, 10 years later, they had a country to protect and a 24-7 war on terror to run. Admiral Mike Mullen, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, reminds Americans that war and the sacrifice of the men and women involved has never
3: ended. We have remained at war ever since, visiting upon our enemies the vengeance they were due and providing for the American people the common defense they demand.
7: Vic Ratner, ABC News, at the Pentagon. Aaron. And in
3: Shanksville, Pennsylvania,
9: a memorial now stands in memory of the 40 victims of Flight 93, which crashed into a rural field. ABC's Stephen Portnoy was there for the commemoration.
15: The memorial, which for years was just a chain-link fence where people left keepsakes, is now a permanent structure in slate and marble. The first phase, featuring an entrance plaza and the wall of names, was dedicated in a ceremony yesterday. Former Presidents Bush and Clinton spoke, along with Vice President Biden. All three men heralded the heroic actions of the brave Americans on
6: board the doomed jetliner. What happened above this Pennsylvania field ranks among the most courageous acts in American history. They gave
7: the entire country an incalculable gift.
8: We can look up at the heavens and think of those heroes and know, and know with certitude, that there is not a single
15: solitary tragedy that America cannot overcome. Today, more speeches from local dignitaries. Pennsylvania Governor Tom Corbett. The truth is that this
8: location, this place, is like no other, because the deeds aboard Flight 93 were like no other.
15: The plane struck the ground at 10.03 a.m. The hijackers were less than 20 minutes flying time from Washington, D.C. Their intended target? likely the U.S. Capitol, if not the White House. Alice Hoagland's son, Mark Bingham, was sitting in seat 4D en route from Newark to San Francisco. He called his mother from the back of the plane.
16: He said, I just want to tell you, Mom, that I love you. Uh, I'm on a flight from Newark to San Francisco, and there are three guys on board, there were actually four, who've taken over the plane, and they say they have a bomb.
15: By that point, several people at the front of the plane had been killed. Alice Hoagland and other Flight 93 family members are among the few who have heard the only documentary evidence of the passenger revolt, the 31-minute tape from the cockpit voice recorder.
16: You heard a voice come on and say, in the cockpit, in the cockpit, in the cockpit, and the other guys picked it up and they were all yelling it in unison, in the cockpit, and if we don't get in there, we'll die, and then more, get him and hit him and and
15: blows being struck. When this memorial is completed, it will feature a 93-foot tower of voices. 40 wind chimes will represent the clamor of the passenger revolt and the calls to loved ones here on the ground. Today, the names of the 40 passengers and crew were read aloud by family members.
17: My lovely mother.
12: My beautiful sister.
15: Cece Cece Ross Ross Lyles. Over the course of the weekend, I spoke with Lyles' widower, Lorne, a police officer in Florida. Cece Lyles, a flight attendant left him this message from the flight.
10: Baby, you have to listen to me carefully. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked, where it's turned around, and I heard that there's planes that's been thrown been into the World Trade Center.
2: I hope to be able to see your face again, baby. I
15: love you. The trauma caused Lorne Lyles to spend years away from work. He's back on the beat now, and he finds this memorial soothing.
12: You see the, the workmanship and everything that's been done. It's actually common.
15: President Obama arrived here just before noon today, flying in on his Marine One helicopter. He and Mrs. Obama walked out onto the plaza hand in hand and laid a white carnation and rose wreath at the Wall of Names. Afterward, the first couple spent more than an hour shaking hands and giving hugs to those whose loved ones died here. And then, President and Mrs. Obama walked alone, out to the Wildflower Meadow, near what they called the Sacred Ground. The impact site of the plane is now marked by a large brown boulder adorned by an autumn-colored bouquet. The first couple held hands and paused for a moment of silent reflection before heading to the Pentagon. Aaron? ABC Stephen Portnoy in Shanksville,
9: Pennsylvania. And coming up, we hear from the families whose loved ones were killed, who remember ten years later.
1: This ABC News radio special, America Remembers, continues after this.
2: Tuesday on ABC, Jacqueline Kennedy. She never talked publicly about her life. Now, Tuesday, that will change. Life with him was always so fast that it isn't until you look back that you see what happened when. Never before heard personal and historic conversations recorded just after her husband's death that have been locked away for nearly 50 years. I mean, it's so strange these things have come back. Jacqueline Kennedy, in her own words, a landmark television event with Diane Sawyer. Tuesday at 9, 8 central on ABC.
1: From ABC News Radio, this is America remembers from Ground Zero in New York. Here is ABC News
9: correspondent Aaron Katursky. Families of 9/11 victims grieve publicly. They make an annual pilgrimage to Lower Manhattan in order to read the names aloud. ABC's David Blaustein spent some time with those families, and he's with us now, David.
17: Aaron, about 30 yards stood between the press riser where I was standing and the stage. The space between packed with the families and friends of those who were lost on that horrible day. 9-11 may have happened 10 years ago, but for the thousands assembled here... It might as well have been 10 minutes ago.
12: It seems like yesterday, and it's always always there. It always comes to the surface.
17: Nancy Navarro lost her 30-year-old sister-in-law, Catherine Lisa Logradici.
12: She was on the uh, 105th floor of uh, Cantor Fitzgerald North Tower, and uh, it was devastating. It was just devastating. It was uh, one of those things that uh, will be etched in our heads for a lifetime. It's like, uh, it's a horror.
17: And the horror for her family doesn't end there.
12: Her father passed away on September 11th, five years later from a broken heart. He had a heart attack and he always missed his baby girl. And uh, that's two devastations on September 11th. So we've had heartache.
17: Luke Doherty's 40-year-old brother-in-law, James Murphy, was on the 100th floor of the
13: North Tower. There's a lot of healing that takes place over the course of 10 years. And if you're lucky enough to come from a a tight family that's there for you all the time, you know, you, you work your way through it. Uh, but, you know, days like today, you do scratch the surface and it does get raw, but we're down here with the, with a group of about 15 of Kevin's family, you know, uh, brothers, sisters, uh, his mom's, uh, in-laws and, you know, you find comfort in family. So, uh, that, that's, that's what gets you through it. As we look up at the rising Freedom Tower, Doherty tells me... Gives you a sense of pride to, you know, to be an American and, uh... You know, I actually heard a, a speech that uh, Rudy Giuliani gave earlier in the week, you know, and talking about when he saw some of the uh, the first responders uh, mounting a flag in the rubble and him saying at that point that he knew that, that we'd find our way through it. And, uh, you know, this is just an extension of that, that, you know, when you when you persevere and you, and you stick together and, you know, you can take a couple blows, but... Uh, it's a, pr- it's a proud moment to look up at even a, an unfinished building, but a building in progress.
17: So many of the families need to be here. Janice Favuza's brother Bernard worked for Cantor Fitzgerald on the 104th floor.
13: The
0: people in my neighborhood want to know why I come every year. Why are you still doing this? And it's not just to 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 scratch the surface and and open a wound like a scab, but it's the bonding through the years that you've made with so many of the groups and organizations that are down here. It's seeing the same people that have experienced the same thing that you did, and you know that you don't need to explain. You just know everyone here knows what you're feeling, they're feeling too.
17: During the ceremony, there was an ebb and flow of emotion amongst the families, some moments heavier with grief than others. At one point, there seemed to be a bit of a lull. Then Paul Simon took the stage. You could see the Queen's New York native had tears in his eyes. Hello
14: darkness, my old friend.
17: I've come to talk
13: with you again.
17: This familiar song, like so many other things here today, a tiny scratch on the surface of a volcano of emotion, as these families, as they have done so many times before, hugged, held hands and cried. Aaron?
9: ABC's David Blaustein with us here in Lower Manhattan. For the families, this was the first time they could visit the new memorial. It opens to the public on Monday. It's called Reflecting Absence. It honors those who perished, recognizes the endurance of those who survived, and the courage of those who risked their lives to save others. Monica Eiken's husband Michael was one of those killed here ten years ago, and she visited the memorial with her daughters.
4: It's pretty amazing. I'm, you know, pleased that I can we can finally uh, share it with the families now. Uh, I'm so proud. We're so proud of it. I think that you know I hope that the families get the same experience that we've been getting by working on it for the last uh, ten years, and feel what I feel when I come to this site the power of the site, the energy of the site, and just knowing they're all home. Our loved ones are finally home. This is their final resting place. And I just loved watching the little children run around. My girls were running around, touching the water, running around the trees. I was just like, wow. You know, it's just so moving.
9: There's a vibrancy here that has not been here in a long time.
4: Absolutely. But, you know, I have to be honest, anytime you go to this site, um, you feel it it's there and everyone who's been on the site knows it has experienced it it's powerful and then you leave the site and it doesn't you don't feel it anymore it's definitely something powerful about the site now with the world class memorial and the museum to come it's even more powerful
9: it took such a long time coming how much of a sore point was it for for you to not have anything here for so long
4: well it was very difficult not having anything but you know i think this was you know 16 acres it was Many, many stakeholders, and I think in any process you just have to know that you know you have to try to do whatever you can to do the right thing and and make something happen. And you know, out of zero, we have eight amazing acres dedicated to this world-class memorial and museum. I I couldn't be any happier right now. You know, I don't even look back at that time. I look at it like, wow, look what we accomplished. Look what we did. We got it. And. You know, I still can't believe it. I still look at it and go, wow, you know, how did that happen? (laughs) Did I blink and something happened? It really is just, I mean, I I can't even be happier right now about this.
9: I was struck today how many people were taking pencils and paper and making etchings, as you would perhaps at a tombstone uh, at a graveyard. Is that, what does that say to you? People needed a place to interact with these names uh, on a very physical and visceral level.
4: That's that's their loved ones, and, and and you feel that they're here with you, and that's the way that you connect with them. You know, someone doesn't have to physically be here to connect with them, and this etching is a way to connect. And I don't look at this site as a, as a graveyard um, or a cemetery. I look at it as a beautiful place of reflection and remembrance and honor. It's, it's a place of hope and I hope that you know people feel the same about it this is not I don't want people that you know the sadness will always be there but I want people that take something away from this that it's peaceful and to be able to reflect on their loved ones and come here and celebrate you know Michael would have been 47 on the 8th of September and I just long for next year I'll come here I'll sit down and bring some cake and make my girls and we'll celebrate his birthday you know and, and do some etching because I didn't have time today but you know I really I really want to do that as well with them, but they were so mesmerized by the water um, that, you know, I was watching them. I was really enjoying watching them experience. They're like, Mommy's job! Mommy's job is here! <laughs> so, so it was really nice.
9: Monica Eichen, one of the family members for whom this memorial means so much. And coming up, we hear from the last survivor pulled from the wreckage on 9 11.
1: This ABC News Radio Special America Remembers continues after this.
2: Tuesday on ABC, Jacqueline Kennedy. She never talked publicly about her life. Now, Tuesday, that will change. Life with him was always so fast that it isn't until you look back that you see what happened when. Never before heard personal and historic conversations recorded just after her husband's death that have been locked away for nearly 50 years. I mean, it's so strange these things have come back. Jacqueline Kennedy, in her own words. A landmark television event with Diane Sawyer. Tuesday at 9, 8 central on ABC.
1: From ABC News Radio, this is America Remembers. From Ground Zero in New York, here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky.
9: Janelle Guzman-McMillan survived 10 years ago and gained distinction as the last person pulled alive from the rubble here at Ground Zero. ABC's Sherry Preston spoke with her about her recollections of the day.
12: I remember being on the 64th floor. You know, it was a normal day for me going to work. And I remember being on the 64th floor, and I was just sitting at my desk, and then my co-worker, Suzanne, came over. And we were just having a conversation about, you know, yesterday, which was the Monday, and other stuff. And within a couple minutes of our conversation, that's when we, I felt the shake, and just a huge, big shake. And then I we heard the bang, and we just looked at each other and, and got up, and I walked towards the window, and I can see the debris in the sky of the papers, and... I just didn't know what was going on. I thought it was an earthquake, and I was going back and forth just trying to figure out what was going on.
0: So what did you do at that point? Try to make it to a staircase? Were you thinking to get out at that point?
12: At that point, no. Uh, I was trying. We actually didn't hear an announcement to leave the building. So we were just trying what was going on. Some people were leaving. But I, I really don't know why we stayed to f- find out what was going on. But I, I was just new at the company. I started in January that same year. And I was going back and forth, making a couple phone calls. And actually, that's when we found out later mm-hmm. on uh, reporting on live on TV that it's possibly a terrorist attack and that's when we decided to take the staircase.
0: You were in the North Tower, the first the f- tower that was hit, the below first. the impact zone. Th- that's right.
12: At what point did the building fall? <laughs> um, actually when I made it to the 13th staircase I stopped for a brief second to take my mm-hmm. shoes off and that's when the walls just caved in and everything come crashing down, the dust, the darkness and it happened so fast and you know I didn't get a chance to do anything just it just knocked me to the ground
0: and and you were left there for a, a full day
12: yeah actually I was just buried under the rubble I couldn't move I couldn't get up I couldn't do anything I was just stuck there for that all 27 hours when you were there could you feel the weight on top of you yeah, definitely, um, because my head was stuck between the concrete pillar and, you know, the debris was on top of my body and I only had my left hand loose. My other right hand was stuck between my under beneath my stomach and everything was just there. I tried my body weight of lifting to get up, but it, I was completely pinned. The rubber was just on top of me, part of the staircase, and I, I just, there's no way. I felt that excruciating pain. It, it's just so painful. I, I couldn't do much at all.
0: Could you hear things on the outside?
12: Yes, I could. I can hear, uh, I heard the radios going off, you know, probably like the rescue radios, and I could hear the sound of the vehicles, like probably making that reverse song, the noise. And I heard everything around me, and then it was complete silence at one point. And, you know, I just knew I was going to die. So,
0: 27 hours after the building fell, tell us a little bit about how you finally got out.
12: Well, um, just being there, under the rubble, knowing that, uh, you know, I knew I was going to die, I knew no one was going to find me. I just started thinking about everything in my life, my daughter especially, you know, she was 12 years at the time. My boyfriend was outside waiting for me to come out of the building mm-hmm. when that happened. And, you know, everything just flashed right before me. And, you know, I just started to think about my mom. And and then I said, you know what, I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. um you know, I, I want to live. I want to live. I, I need to be with my daughter. And I just started to pray and ask God to get me out, give me the second chance. You know, I want to live. And I just started to beg God and plead with God to, to get me out and show me a sign, show me a miracle, send somebody. And I was just calling out to God to, to get me out. And that's what happened. And that's what happened.
9: Janelle Guzman-McMillan speaking with ABC's Sherry Preston here at the World Trade Center site. Coming up, what it takes to rebuild this place.
1: This ABC News Radio Special, America Remembers, continues after this.
2: Tuesday on ABC, Jacqueline Kennedy. She never talked publicly about her life. Now, Tuesday, that will change. Life with him was always so fast that it isn't until you look back that you see what happened when. Never before heard personal and historic conversations recorded just after her husband's death that have been locked away for nearly 50 years. I mean, it's so strange these things have come back. Jacqueline Kennedy, in her own words. A landmark television event with Diane Sawyer. Tuesday at 9, 8 central on ABC.
1: From ABC News Radio, this is America Remembers. From Ground Zero in New York, here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky.
9: Ten years after it became known as Ground Zero, the 16-acre World Trade Center site shows signs of life instead of death.
11: There are oak trees, swamp white oak trees.
9: There are hundreds of them, and there's one known as the Survivor Tree. It's
11: a calorie pear tree that was located um, on the World Trade Center on 9-11.
9: Planted on the World Trade Center Plaza in the 1970s, it was nursed back to health after the attacks and now stands as a symbol of hope and renewal at the center of the new 9-11 Memorial.
11: Sometimes you can catch a rainbow.
9: Lynn Rasick is the Memorial Vice President.
11: Within the pools, just as the sun shines through the, the waterfalls.
9: The two waterfalls, positioned on the original footprints of the Twin Towers, flow into pools around which are etched the names.
11: They're based off of groupings, largely determined by where people were when they died and who they were with.
9: The arrangement is deliberate.
11: It gives people an opportunity, visitors who may not know anything about the victims, to actually learn about who these people were and why the names are placed next to each other.
9: The five rows of names inscribed into the bronze parapets stretch 1,500 feet, capturing the enormity of the loss at this place. It's a lesson for us that our freedoms
5: are uh, so disliked by some they're willing to take thousands of lives to try to destroy what we've built in the world's greatest democracy. And if you want a bright side of it, uh, we showed that they didn't take it. In fact, we will come out stronger than ever. New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg says he has three goals for this site. Place to grieve, a uh, educational inspiration to uh, protect our
9: freedoms, and uh, an economic part of the city. The economics are controversial. The signature skyscraper on the site, One World Trade Center, now rises more than 80 stories and will be completed in 2013 at a cost of more than $3 billion. It's an expense paid by commuters in the form of higher tolls while corporate tenants of the building get a tax break to move in. Frustrating, you know, that's,
5: it's democracy and uh, you keep consulting and talking and arguing and out of it comes something that i think is going to 50 years from now people going to look back and say they got it right government subsidies have
9: helped the area around ground zero flourish there are new residents new schools new parks new hotels but that construction is still not complete a decade later
5: is a sore point it is one of the world's most complex construction projects ever It is a project that has faced more difficulties because of uh, all the different levels of government, state, city, federal, uh, the different interests of the first responders and their families, the different interests of the victims' families. Perhaps
9: nothing embodies those disparate interests more than the 9-11 memorial. There were disagreements about purpose, location, design, everything really. But Lynn Rasick, the vice president, says it opens on the 10th anniversary.
11: The rebuilding was so laden with emotion, but really it also reflects a sense of unity and purpose. In the end, there's sort of no right way to remember what happened, but we have an obligation to remember.
9: Lynn Rasick is the memorial vice president. That memorial opens to the public on Monday. Michael Arad is its architect. ABC's Sherry Preston spoke with him.
3: I actually started thinking about um, ideas for memorial a few months after the attack, and I was drawn to this idea of uh, a memorial, actually, in the Hudson River. And I imagined the surface of the river split open, forming two square voids in the water, rushing into those voids. And uh, it was a, a very enigmatic image, but something that I felt compelled to to, uh, to study, this idea of, of emptiness that can never be filled up. And it wasn't until a year later that I finished working on this idea and the following year there was a competition design and I tried to bring that idea of these voids in the Hudson to the site but also bring another idea not just about making um, absence visible but also this idea of creating a public space here in the middle of the city thinking back on my own experiences here in New York uh, how important places like Washington Square, Union Square were to allow New Yorkers to come together and respond as a community to offer um, help and compassion for each other and in doing so receive that help
0: let's describe the memorial itself you've got uh, on the footprints of the tower slightly smaller i think it's 80 percent but the trees lining up so it's where the tower stood
3: you have an eight acre clearing in the middle of the city which i think is one of the first uh, moves here Uh, the 16 acre world trade center site has been subdivided into four unequal quadrants by bringing greenwich street and fulton street back through the site uh, creating an eight acre Memorial Plaza. And when you think of the narrow streets of Florida Manhattan coming out of these urban canyons onto this vast open plain with 400 foot, 400 trees on it, oak trees is, is remarkable. And then as you make your way into the plaza, you walk up to the edge of these two voids where the towers once stood. And that first row of trees, which rings the void, marks precisely the location and size of the towers that, that were here once. And it's really when you walk up to the edge of these voids that I think the most powerful moment of visiting this memorial unfolds. You uh, you sense the scale of the space; it seems to yawn open right under your feet. And surrounding these voids um, are the names of the victims. Uh, and seeing you know close to fifteen hundred names around each void is a very powerful and meaningful and sad experience. But I think it. Coming up to the edge, coming up to this threshold that separates the living from the dead, seeing the space beyond that you can only stand at the edge of and never enter, uh, is an important experience.
9: Michael Arad, the architect of this new 9-11 memorial. It is striking. And coming up, 9-11 commemorated around the world. This
1: ABC News radio special, America Remembers, continues after
2: this. Tuesday on ABC, Jacqueline Kennedy. She never talked publicly about her life. Now, Tuesday, that will change. Life with him was always so fast that it isn't until you look back that you see what happened when. Never before heard personal and historic conversations recorded just after her husband's death that have been locked away for nearly 50 years. I mean, it's so strange these things have come back. Jacqueline Kennedy, in her own words. A landmark television event with Diane Sawyer. Tuesday at 9, 8 central on ABC. From
1: ABC News Radio, this is America Remembers. From Ground Zero in New York, here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky.
9: Ten years later, the question, where were you on 9-11, is still piercing. It never fails to create a real conversation, especially, perhaps, for New Yorkers. It was the start of school here in New York, and what seemed like an inconsequential decision at the time to go in late, so you could take your child to the first day of school, probably saved countless lives. It was also election day, and many New Yorkers had just voted when they saw the first smoke from the tower. At the same time, then-President Bush was reading to children in Florida. ABC's White House correspondent Ann Compton was with him then and stayed with him throughout the day.
10: The president is dramatically shaken by this. When word came confirming the second plane crash, uh, President Bush was sitting in a classroom of second graders and his chief of staff Andy Card came and whispered to him and you could tell by the look on his face he was appalled
6: today our fellow citizens our way of life our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts
14: As a pool reporter traveling with President George W. Bush in Sarasota, Florida, I was in the room when his chief of staff whispered the unthinkable news and then turned to me to confirm that Air Force One would quickly get the president back home to Washington. I filed reports to the networks on my cell phone.
10: This is Ann Compton. We are on board Air Force One. The doors are shut, and I am told we are flying back. To Washington.
14: But we did not know the Pentagon had just been hit. What unfolded was a 10 hour odyssey as Air Force One flew west away from Washington, finally bringing President Bush to the relative safety of the military's Strategic Command headquarters on a base in Nebraska.
10: President Bush is here at the home of the Strategic Command. This is the area, this is the base where those big doomsday aircraft are kept. And he has disappeared down the rabbit hole through a red brick uh, small building. He and what skeleton staff are with him uh, down into an underground bunker where Ari Fleischer tells me the president is going to chair a National Security Council meeting by teleconference.
6: Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. And freedom will be defended.
14: The burden of keeping America safe, of course, now rests on President Obama's shoulders. The two presidents spoke privately together this morning before the New York ceremony began. It's the first time they'd spoken since President Obama phoned with the news that the nearly 10-year hunt for Osama bin Laden was over and bin Laden was dead. Aaron?
9: ABC's Ann Compton on an emotional day for the former president and especially for families of the fallen the 10-year commemoration here in New York may have been the biggest, but there were 9-11 events all over the world, as we hear from ABC's Linda Alban now in London.
16: It was a day for remembering around the world, from Japan to Italy and France to New Zealand and Australia, where Prime Minister Julia Gillard put into words what many were feeling and thinking on this 10th anniversary of 9-11. We
14: do not forget, we never forget, united always in remembrance, united always in resolve.
16: America and Americans were the target, but the lives claimed on that fateful day represented a rainbow of races and religions, sparing no one, regardless of where they came from or what their beliefs might have been. At St. Paul's Cathedral here in London, some 2,000 people attended a service of remembrance and reconciliation. The canon of St. Paul's had this message.
7: We are celebrating the beauty and the resilience of love and relationships. And if we can remember that, then there will always be hope. In
16: Grosvenor Square, outside the U.S. Embassy that the U.S. Ambassador to Britain called that little bit of the U.S. in the U.K., Louis Sussman acknowledged the destruction and pain of the attacks, but said the terrorists had failed.
8: The ultimate aim
16: of the 9-11
8: attacks, to destroy our way of life, failed. It
16: failed utterly. And such attacks on our values, wherever they take place, they will fail. But in Pakistan, members of an extremist Islamist party took to the streets to voice anger at America. And in Iran, (inaudible) President Ahmadinejad claimed the attacks were part of a plot to create a pretext for invading Afghanistan and Iraq. In Iraq, U.S. soldiers still serving there stopped to remember.
13: September 11, 2001. As did those
16: on the front line in Afghanistan, observing the moment the first plane struck with a minute of silence. This soldier couldn't have put it better, sure of himself and the mission.
15: Today is one of those days where we sit back and reminisce about why we joined the military, what we're doing here, what our mission is. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, here we are still doing the same thing, which is good.
16: In Afghanistan, nearly 80 American soldiers were wounded and two Afghan civilians killed in a Taliban truck bombing, a stark reminder that the war in Afghanistan rages on 10 years after the September 11th terror attacks. Another reminder that not everyone is on the same side, and a little closer to home, here in London. As relatives of the 67 British victims gathered to remember, a small but vocal group of Muslim protesters vented their anger, saying they felt no sympathy with those who died in the 9-11 attacks. But the soaring notes from the thorsby Colliery band muted their hatred, and as Prince Charles observed. For is it not strange that although that dreadful act of violence was meant to divide us. It has actually drawn us together. And as they were in New York, the names of Britain's 9-11 victims were read out loud.
9: From London, ABC's Linda Alban. And back here in New York, the New York Philharmonic gave a concert for New York in remembrance of 9-11. It featured Gustav Mahler's second symphony, Resurrection. In the third movement, the choir sings these words, rise again, Yes, you will rise again. Cease from trembling. Prepare to live. I'm Aaron Katursky. You've been listening to a special presentation, America Remembers, from ABC News.